0: faithful does he seem me in my trust Try to tell me I'm forgotten and I've fallen too far from his hands. But I know what kind of God he is, and I'm trusting in his promises, I'm believing, and I'm seeing.
1: Welcome to East Hillsville Baptist Church. My name is Kevin White. I'm the executive pastor here, and we are just so glad that you chose to join us this morning for worship. And we always want to welcome all those that are visiting with us during this time of our service and encourage you before you rush away, please stop by our guest table. Uh, We would love to get some information in your hands. There's a guest bag there. Please take one of those. Um, also want to uh, encourage you to fill out the care card either in your bulletin or you can scan the QR code that's at our guest table. But all that to say, we would love to know who you are and know how we could serve you better and answer any questions that you may have. I'd also like to say to all the dads, happy Father's Day to you. And uh, there is a law within the universe that a dad cannot have and a man cannot have too many flashlights. So my wife would disagree with that. Um, But before you leave today, all of our dads, just a reminder, if you haven't picked up one of your flashlights, there's a, a gift out there in the lobby. Please grab one of those before you leave just to say thank you as dads for what you do and we love you and we need you. So right now we're going to ask everyone to stand take just a minute to welcome your neighbor. If your dad's beside of you, make sure you squeeze his neck, hug him, and welcome one another to the service.
2: Aren't you thankful that David said in the Psalms that God is a father to the fatherless? You know, this may be uh, Father's Day for you where you don't have your father with you. Or maybe you grew up, maybe you didn't have a dad in your home. So we just want you to understand that God is, is a good father. He's a good father. Um, I want to lift up Wes Steele's family. Wes was a, a good friend of mine. He was also uh, my grandparents' neighbor when I was growing up back in Winter Haven. Uh, he was also my Legion coach for two years. Uh, whenever the Legion baseball program started back up. And uh, Melissa and Wes came to church here for quite some time, and then she started going with her dad. But she went with us in 2005 to the Philippines, and she was one of the nurses on our trip. And they're just wonderful people. And you remember Amanda. Amanda's sang in this choir longer than I've been, uh, been a member here at East Hillsville Baptist Church. And, you know, two sisters losing two husbands within... Within a, a, a few months, it's just so sad and tragic. So I know you want to pray for yourself, but would you lift them up in prayer during this time as well? And let, let, let me encourage you to do this. Pray for the man in your life, right? I don't know who that is, but pray for that man in your life. Most men deal with things on a superficial level, and they, and they face so many things that they'd never share with you. So why don't you, on behalf of just your love for the man in your life, why don't you lift them up in prayer this morning as well. And I'm going to ask David Davis if he'll come up here. David's one of our deacons. He's going to lead us during this prayer time. And if you will, as a, as a choir leads us in this time of worship, if you'll meet me here at the altar, and let's lift these folks up in prayer. Thank you. Welcome to the altar.
3: pray god our heavenly father we just thank you that we can uh, celebrate father's days and thank you for the earthly fathers you've given us Uh, but even much more than that we thank you that you are our heavenly father and god we just thank you that you love us so much and care for us so much we thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to give your only son the lord jesus Uh, to come to this world and die on the cross for our sins. And we just thank you for that and praise you for that. And we thank you because of that that we can have a home in heaven with you one day. Lord, we uh, have many needs, uh, and you know each need. You know every prayer request that's uh, represented here on this altar. Pray that you might answer each one according uh, to your will and your way. We pray for West Deals' family and other families who've lost loved ones in the, in the recent past. And just pray that you might comfort them. Pray that you might uh, lift them up as only you can. Lord, we pray for the youth as they uh, and the youth leaders as they go to camp this week. Pray that you'd be with them. Uh, pray that the souls might be saved and, and lives might be changed and encouraged. And that uh, Christians might be drawn closer to you. Lord, we pray for uh, Pastor Jamie as he uh, preaches in uh, the next little while. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would empower him as he uh, preaches your word. And just pray that your Holy Spirit might work. And we would just thank you and praise you. And thank you again for loving us and caring so much for us and being our Heavenly Father. Amen.
4: It's hard to imagine where I'd be without you. The truth is, I've learned so much by simply watching you. I've learned what it means to care about people and put others before myself. I've learned how to live a life of integrity and have the heart of a servant. I've learned to honor God in all I do and seek His will for my life. Thank you for the discipline I deserved, and the grace I did not. Thank you for guiding me, encouraging me, and picking me up when I failed. Thank you for living out your faith and showing me how to live out mine. As I look back, I can see moment after moment where your strength, your wisdom, and your love made all the difference. There's so much of you I carry with me, memories I treasure and lessons I cherish. Today, Dad, I wanna say thank you and let you know just how much I love you. Happy Father's Day.
2: Happy Father's Day. I heard Jordan Peterson share this uh, one time and I thought I would read it talking about men. He said men, they hold, for the most part, this is about, um, I mean it's not 100%, but what he talks about is the jobs that men do, just the jobs. He says they hold the most dangerous unglamorous positions in the world. He said there's also an imbalance in who does the most dangerous, physically demanding jobs. Good men put themselves on the line every day, and often for very little pay and no public adoration. They do the very ugly, difficult jobs very few women want to do, and that's called service. Now it doesn't mean women don't do these, but the overwhelming majority of men do these jobs. Men fix our cars with their permanently oil-stained hands. Men clean out the portable toilets we all use. They mop our floors and pick up our trash. They manage and maintain sewage plants. They make sure roadkill kill on our highways disappear. Men drive the taxis that take us to where we need to go. Men don't think twice about running toward danger to rescue people from burning buildings and gruesome accidents. Men chase down every bad guy Men chase down very bad guys on an hourly basis in every major city around the world, risking their lives. Men plant, grow, harvest our food in the hot sun. They work steel construction, hundreds of feet in the air, and rescue those lost at sea and in the wilderness. Men repair the airplanes we fly in and drive the trains and trucks that bring us our stuff. Men mine the oil, natural gas, and coal we all depend on. Good men happily and dutifully do all the jobs most women never want to do. And they do them faithfully with little complaint. Well, maybe complaint. Men are necessary and we should be thankful for them. Then he says this. The gratitude for that is sorely lacking, especially among the people who should be the most grateful, and that is all of us. He also said this since the 1950s. Typically males die from suicide five times at a rate five times higher than females. And then I added this to the end of what he said, because I'm not sure if he's a Christian or not. But pray for the man in your life. Be grateful and thankful for the men who do the hard work. On Mother's Day, we always are thankful for our moms, right? We should be thankful for not just our dads, but be thankful for the men in your life that do, do the hard things. So, men, I just want to say happy Father's Day and uh, be proud of who you are. Be proud to be a man and be proud of what you do. Amen. If you'll stand with me, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. We're going to be talking this morning about the beautiful life. Now, what Peter is going to tell us here, I, 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 I've kind of not really bashed this, this saying, but I've kind of picked on a little bit, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Well, you got to use words. You have to. How will they hear without a preacher? That just means a witness. That just means somebody tells somebody about Jesus, right? But how often are you going to tell the same person the same story over and over again? And what Peter is basically saying here is that your life, your life, is an apologetic to the world. Your life and the way you live among lost people is your evangelism strategy, just how you live. Some of you would probably be here and say, I I, I try to share the Romans road, I kind of know how to do it, I kind of don't. Some of you would be like, well, I know how to do EE or faith or any of that. But you know how to live, right? You just know how to live. That's what he's talking about. And the word that he uses here for honorable, if you'll notice in the text there, It's just like they, they, at the end, they didn't really have a word to describe it. They just used the word beautiful. I mean, and and what I think God would tell you today is this. Live a beautiful life. Live a beautiful life. Because you don't know who's watching you. Peter puts it this way. He says, beloved. Notice how he starts out. Peter could have started out with his apostolic authority because he had it. It's amazing how uh, Jesus elevated Peter, a fisherman, who was probably rejected by every local rabbi except for Jesus, and now he's an apostle. Okay, And he has authority, and he writes with authority, and he uses the term beloved. I like that. He says, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, and that's what you are if you're a Christian, you're a sojourner and a pilgrim, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, and you can underline that, because your biggest enemy and threat is yourself. I'm my worst problem. Nobody else is. I'm I'm the guy that gets in my way. And what he's saying is this that you're in a war with yourself oftentimes. And then he goes on to say this. He says, Having your conduct honorable or beautiful among the Gentiles, that when they speak evil against or speak against you as evildoers. Now think about this, they did. History tells us they did. And I'm gonna read some quotes from Roman historians. Okay? That they may see your good works. They may buy your good works. Now notice the word good works. That means there's something you're doing with your life. Which they observe. Glorify God in the day of visitation. There's so much in these three, two little verses here. Father. As we come to you in prayer. We want to thank you, Lord, for your word. We want to thank you for loving us. Father, thank you for uh, never giving up on us. Father, you know all about us. And you love us. Still, it's still mind-blowing to me. And Father, you're the one that we are to please. And Father, if we please you with our lives, then Father, just that will be an evangelism testimony to our neighbors, our family, Lord, our coworkers, our friends. Lord, nobody expects us to be perfect, but we can be good. And help us to be good and do good. And be known for, for good, good things that we do. And Father, then when we leave this life, and it may be sooner than later, we don't know, that people could glorify you in the day of visitation because we were just good. So, Father, help us to be good. Not perfect, not going to be perfect. But, Lord, help us to do better for your honor and for your glory. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you alone can do. And we love you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people say together. Thank you. You may be seated. Peter gets real practical here, and he's talking about your life among the lost world. You've got to remember that they're scattered over Asia Minor, about 750,000 square miles. If you notice in verse 1 of chapter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims, there's the word that we're going to read here, to, of the dispersion. That just means they've been scattered. It meant that Jewish people were scattered, okay, and they were. God scattered them from Jerusalem. Uh, that's a historical fact. They were just scattered. But Peter takes off the definite article, meaning that there's now Jews and Gentiles that are scattered, and they have one common thing, in, one thing in common, and that is their relationship with Jesus Christ. So he's put us in that, and what he's saying is you've been scattered, and because you're scattered and you're living in different cultures that that may reject the gospel when you share it, and they did, they can't reject your life. Brendan Manning said this: the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today. Is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. He didn't say they walk out the door and aren't perfect. He just said, at least give it an effort. Alexander McLaren, who was a great Scottish preacher, said this, The, wor- the world takes its notions of God, most of all, from the people who say that they belong to God's family. They read us a great deal more than they read the Bible. In fact, they see us, they only hear about Jesus. John MacArthur put it this way, the bottom line then in evangelism is not so much what we say, it is what we do. And as someone said many years ago, some of us speak so loud by what we do that no one can hear what we say. Amen. Jesus said this on the Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're to live a kind of life that makes our evangelism believable. Notice on the screen, Peter says this, Beloved, this is an incredibly honored title for everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ. And when Peter says abstain from fleshly lust, he's saying try to live more holy. And basically what Peter's trying to tell us is this, we don't pursue holiness because God hates us. We don't pursue the lives of holiness because if we don't, God won't love us. We don't reach for holiness because God has a club ready to clobber us when we miss a mark. We pursue the... uh, A life of holiness from the perspective of wonder and amazement and joy that God, through Jesus Christ, actually and deeply and faithfully loves us. So let us start there with the word beloved. Peter could have called him anything. Some of your translations say, dear friends, not a good one. Beloved, you're loved by God. And then he says, I beg you as sojourners. Look at that word. It simply refers to a visitor who makes a brief stay, It's sometimes translated stranger, it's a traveler who's just moving around or someone passing through. So we are non-citizens who don't belong. I'm a stranger, I'm a sojourner. Then he used the word pilgrim, he refers to them as strangers in their own countries. Pilgrims scattered throughout Asia Minor, Cappadocia, all these different places. One man put it this way, the believers are scattered like seed. Wherever it seemed the wind would take them wherever they could find a place to settle down and survive. They were always going to be in the minority. Minority. They never felt like they belonged. That's because they didn't. And what, what Peter is telling these folks here who are going to be in a battle with themselves and also with the culture, and that's a historical fact, is this world's not your home. I love where I live. I love 648 Shook Lane. I love it. Okay? 648 Shook Lane, Tulsa, North Carolina, 28681. If you want to send me a Longhorn gift card, send it to that address. Okay? I love where I live. I'm not moving anywhere else if I can help it. Okay, Don't want to live in Hawaii. I've been to the Bahamas, overrated, don't care nothing about it. Okay? I love Alexander County. Love it. Love it. I love where I live. But this world's not my home. It's not. Somebody else will get my house. Somebody else is going to get my house. This world is not my home. But the fact that I'm here, okay, the fact that I'm here, that's why Jesus said, don't love the world. All right? Don't love the world because this world ultimately is not your home. And what he's telling these folks is this. It's going to get rough for you, but I want you to understand that this world is not your home. The writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come, which is heaven. Think about this. Peter says this. First point is to abstain from fleshly lust. Look at the word abstain. That's the idea of putting some distance between you and something else. Abstain. That means you consciously have to do it, okay? You have to put this barrier. It implies a rupture of a former association. Peter calls for the believer to hold himself away from contact or influence of the strongest desires that originate from our utterly depraved nature. My fleshly lusts and yours are probably different, okay? I mean, some of y'all eat cabbage. I don't understand it. I've never in my life understood how you could eat that. Some of y'all like cats. I don't understand that either, right? Now, when when you think about fleshly lust, some of y'all like this, and some of y'all like that, and I like this, and I like that. And he says this. he He says, you're in a war. Look, he says, abstain from fleshly lust, which war, the better translation is wage war. Okay? So you're in a battle with your lust. He says, you have to make a decision as an adult to abstain from certain things. A war. Think about it. Since you're gods and you have a Bible, you're at war. Now, before God saved me, I wasn't at war with nothing. I tried to fulfill all my fleshly lusts as much as I could. Think about this. Now you're at a war against the flesh. When I was lost, okay, I was a child of darkness. I didn't wage war against the flesh. I fed it. Every dollar I earned, I spent it on my flesh. All my free time I spent on my flesh, there was no war with entertainment choices. Not one war. There was no war with choices on what to do on Friday night or Saturday nights. I never fought the urge to miss church over hobbies because I never went to church. Never went. Never went. I never agonized over tithing. Never. I never said, man, am I going to give to a church? Never when I was lost. I never fought that battle. Never. I never agonized over serving. Am I going to teach Sunday school again this year? Steve, are you? Thank God. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful for your Sunday school teachers? See, I I never waged war over that. Never. I never waged war over my conversation with people. I I had a reputation at school for being the guy who said bad words all the time. I never waged war with that. Then, on a Tuesday night, a man from this church, who's very sick, I want you to pray for him. God knows who it is. Shared Jesus with me, and I got saved. That next morning, which was Wednesday, I waged war with myself, and I have every day since. Sometimes i win great battles. Sometimes I'll lose. Just being honest with you. Wage war. So think about this. You're in a battle with yourself and your lusts, whatever they are, okay? As a church, if I see you in a battle, and God is your father and God is my father, and you're my brother and sister in Christ, right? What should I do if I see you in a war with the flesh and you're losing I should go help you shouldn't I? Don't become a war reporter, people. So many people, I know I share this a lot, in Alexander County will see somebody losing the battle with the flesh and they become a reporter. Do you see what they did? Do you hear what they did? I can't believe that person claims to be a Christian and they did that. Oh, they probably done a lot worse you hadn't seen, okay? Why don't you go and be a brother and sister in Christ and help rescue people? That's what I would want. If I was in a battle, I don't want people shooting at me on my team, do you? I don't want that guy on my side, okay? I want somebody coming to help me. Sometimes people, I'll tell you something, sometimes people battle so hard with the flesh that they don't even realize where they are. They're just doing stuff and they don't even realize it. And they're like, oh, how did I get here? Now what are you gonna do? You're to help that person abstain from fleshly lust. That's part of doing good works. Be, be that person. Listen, you can either be Judas to your friends or Jesus. You're going to be one or the other. You're either going to be Judas to your friends or you're going to be Jesus. Listen, if your best friend can't come to you and share about their fleshly lust, you're not much of a friend. You come to your preacher. I'll talk to you about it. I'll talk to you about it in a heartbeat. Abstain. The reason I say that is look at the word for war. That means it's never going to end. It's never ending. That's why the good works that the early church had, part of that was they loved each other, even when they'd done really crazy stuff, and things that were out of character for that person. You ever met somebody and they just done something that was so out of character for that person? Well, why don't you pray for them and help them? That's the best thing to do. I'd I'd love to be a church that's known for that. He says, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. That's the part of you that can be bruised, that can be offended. That's the part that nobody sees. You can come here today, all right. See, some of you are probably here today, and you're at a, you're in a war with your flesh, and it's affecting your soul. Okay, fight that battle. Fight it as as much as you can. Notice the next thing. Live a beautiful live a beautiful life. Excuse me. Peter says this: having your conduct honorable. That word, one one scholar put it this way, this word is almost untranslatable. He says it takes really several words to describe this word honorable. He says it's like lovely, the words that they use are lovely, fine, winsome, gracious, beautiful, noble, excellent. It is the purest, highest, noblest kind of goodness. And you know what the first century Christians had? They were pilgrims, they were sojourners. They didn't really have many rights. matter of fact, they, they started to lose their rights, okay? They were just some beautiful people. Justin Martyr, who uh, served with the Apostle John, is quoted as saying this, talking about helping a Roman community at their weekly assembly, and he says, "And they who are well to do and willing, give what each thinks fit, and what is collected is, the, is deposited with the president, who comforts the orphans and widows and those who through sickness or any other cause are in want and those who are in bonds and the strangers and sojourners among us in a world takes care of all who are in need." Think about that, that was early church. This is a quote from a man who lived in 100 AD and he said what we did was, Rome didn't do this, you had orphans, you had widows, you had sick people who had no help at all, they didn't have a government help there, he says, so the church said this, our little church, let's take up money and help those people. Is that not a beautiful thing? And guess what they started? Orphanages. Whenever the Roman people would displace their kids and leave them out on the, on the town square, you know, the men would either become gladiators and the girls would all become prostitutes. And then Jesus showed up. And, they, and the church started taking up all these orphans, okay? And giving them hope and giving them a future, if you will. See, everywhere Christianity has been in history, it's made the place better. Historical fact that is not disputable. That is not disputable. Historical fact that where Christianity has taken root and has grown, the place has gotten better. The lives of the people have gotten better. The first church or the first hospital, I think, I could be wrong about this, that we know of on record was in Cappadocia, started by Christians. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And so here they are. They're trying to abstain from fleshly lust. And he says, Have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may buy your good works, buy your good works, buy your good works, You know, just like fleshly lust is different for a lot of us, good works could be different for a lot of us. But everywhere Christianity has been, the cities have gotten better. Albert Johnson, who's from the University of Washington, he's a historian of medicine, he says this, "...the second great sweep of medical history begins at the end of the 4th century. The founding of the first Christian hospital at Caesarea in Cappadocia, which which concludes at the end of the 14th century with medicine well and consoled in the universities and in the public life of the emerging nations of Europe. If you read verse one, that's where Peter was. Isn't it amazing how this this thought that Peter gave these people kept going and going and going to where they would start schools and they would start uh, doing all these things because they were doing good works. I've shared this with you before, but William Barclay said this, more people have been brought into the church, local church, by the kindness of real Christian love than all the theological arguments in the world. So you're not a good gospel presenter, so what? Bring them to me, I'll tell them. You just live good in front of them. Do good works. I don't know what that looks like for you and your situation, but do good works. And then he said this, this is what makes it so amazing that they did it and they literally changed Rome. He says, when, this is a promise, they speak against you, the people you're doing good works among, As evildoers. Look at the word evildoers. That word identifies the hostility and animosity of the undergenerate world. And using this word, you got to understand what this word means. Because history tells us that this is what happened. He uses a word that is very strong. It expresses the idea of a very wicked person who should be punished. I don't get that, do you? Hey, we'll take care of your sick. You should be in jail. We'll take this orphan. We should arrest you. We're helping the poor. Well, that's what it means. That's what they did. As a matter of fact, Tacitus and Suetonius were the leading Roman historians around 100 A.D. And Tacitus said the Christians were loathed for their vices. Nero blamed Christians for the great fire of Rome because they were hated for their abominations. Isn't that something? By 177 A.D., they had prescribed that the Christians were eating the flesh of human beings that one of their delicacies was human flesh, they were cannibals, that they killed and ate children at their feast, that they were accused of immorality, of incest, uh, of wrecking homes, damaging trade and social progress, leading the slaves into a rebellion, they were accused of atheism and insurrection, but all they kept doing was this, good works. Throw them in jail, do good works. Kill them, do good works. Fire them, do good works. And guess what happened by 365 A.D.? Rome becomes a Christianized nation. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. Have your conduct before the Gentiles beautiful. Do good things. Think about, this is what I would encourage you to do. Think about something good that you can do for just anybody this week. Just anybody. Jesus said, so let your light shine before men that they see your good works, they'll glorify God in heaven. That's all about saved men and lost men. Just by doing good things. And then the final thing is this prepare to meet God on the day of visitation. Now, this is what Peter says. He said, He said, Those people, okay, those Gentiles that you're living among, they're going to observe your good works, they're going to speak against you as evildoers, and they're also going to glorify God in the day of visitation. Which gives us the idea that a lot of these folks got saved because of your good works. Isn't that amazing? They will glorify God in the day of visitation. Look at that word for day of visitation. Only Peter would have known what this meant. Well, not only Peter, but you have to be a Jewish uh, intellectual of the Old Testament to understand what this means. In the Old Testament, God visited a man or a nation in a number of ways, but basically for two reasons. When God says, I'm visiting you, it was a blessing or a judgment. He visited them to bless them. He visited them to judge them. Think about what Jeremiah says. God speaking through Jeremiah, he says, talking about the children of Israel carried away to Babylon. He says, they will be carried to Babylon, and they will be there until the day I visit them, which was 70 exact years like God promised. He says, then I will bring them back and restore them to this place. Think about Mary, whenever uh, the angel told her she's going to have a baby. Blessed be the, God, the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Jesus, speaking to the religious leaders, said this. The reason you'll be rejected is because you did not recognize your time of visitation. God says, I planned a time to send my son. He visited those people. Okay, They rejected him, and then they have to suffer the consequences of that. But what Peter is saying here is this, that on the day of God's visitation, which means Jesus is coming back at some point, who's going to be in heaven because of you? Who's going to glorify God because of your life? Who's going to glorify God because you have won more battles than you lost with your fleshly lust? Who's going to glorify God on that day who were pagans, they were talking talk about you as evildoers, and now they're glorifying God on that day? Because I want to tell you something, after that day, it's over. R.C. Sproul said there's no uh, bridge from hell to heaven after you die. There's none. Jesus put it this way in Revelation chapter 21. He said to me, talking to John, now this is what Jesus says at the end of it all. He says, it is done. There is going to come a time when it is done. Then he says this, I'm Alpha and Omega. He says, I'm the first and the last. I have all the authority. And when I say it's done, it's done. It's a day of visitation. Paul says the same thing. James says the same thing. Jesus said the same thing. All the disciples said the same thing. He says, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. To the thirsty, I will. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murders, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, all liars, they'll be co-signed to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This day is coming. Do you know Jesus today? Do do you have a testimony that there was some time in your past, or maybe even now, that you saw the claims of Jesus and you accepted those claims, that Jesus historically lived, he historically died because of your sins and you're guilty before God, and that he rose from the dead and you're placing your faith in that Jesus? Do you have a testimony that says that that Jesus is the Lord of my life? If not, I would encourage you to place your faith and trust and hope in Jesus today. Christians, let me ask you a question. Are you in a battle? Join the club, right? Surrender yourself afresh and anew to Jesus today. I'm the type of person that I'm like Paul. I don't look in the past. What if you messed up Monday? Well, so Monday's over, right? Day Sunday, right? Okay, you're justified before God because of your faith in Jesus. Forget about it. Move on, learn from it, live from it, amen? Make a commitment today to do good and be good. So that on that day, lost people, who you probably don't even know, will glorify God. That word glorify means they're gonna worship him. They're gonna give praise and honor and glory to Jesus because of your life. Isn't that amazing? That, isn't that amazing? And you probably never one time shared your gospel, shared the gospel with you. I just find that utterly amazing that God can use your life in such a way to help people come to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand with me with every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment. The question I'll ask you, if you'll be in an attitude of prayer for me, we're not going to give a long invitation, is this. Are you ready to meet Jesus? Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ alone? Because that day is coming. And be ready. Be prepared to meet Jesus. And to all the Christians, and I say this to myself, today would be a good day to repent. To admit to God you're doing whatever you shouldn't be doing, losing the battle to fleshly lusts, and just repent. It's a beautiful word. God said times of refreshing will come to your soul if you repent. And then ask God at this time to use your life to help others come to know Jesus. I'm going to pray, and then Sharon's going to lead us in a song, and you respond as the Lord leads you. Father, we thank you for this time. Father, we thank you, Lord, for those in the past that have come to know Jesus because of good works of this church. Lord, every person that serves, Lord, hands out a bulletin. Whatever you do, I just think of VBS. A lot of people doing good works, a lot of kids come to know Christ. What a blessing. Father, I pray that we'd never take those things for granted. Lord, I pray that we'd never take being kind to somebody for granted, loving somebody for granted, granted being generous to somebody else for granted. Because, Lord, in doing that, we're still we're preaching the gospel. Lord, help us to do good works. Help us to love each other and help each other through this battle. Because, Jesus, you are coming back. That day of visitation is coming, and that can be great fear, great dread, or that can be great joy. Lord, I long for it. I long for that day. But Lord, I pray that you'd save a multitude before that day happens. And Father, if there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. We'll thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Sharon leads us in the song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. For being here today. I say this at the end of every service and I mean it so much that if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus and you'd like to talk to me as a pastor about that, I'd love to talk with you about that. And now Justin's going to make some a few announcements about camp.
4: Real quick, uh, if you're one of the 40 plus going to summer camp tomorrow, uh, please be here between 6.15 and 6.30. Our goal is to leave the parking lot at 7 a.m. Also, uh, in the basement down here, if you go out this door, at the basement door, there's a box truck that I have filled full of VBS stuff that we've been building for the past two months that a previous church has used. And I've got it here, and I need to unload it into the basement. So I've got food to cook too for my family and stuff. So if you, if I, as many hands as I can get just to help unload some stuff out of the box truck and get it into the basement for VBS, that would be great. So 6:15, 6:30 in the morning, and then if all the hands I can get, to quickly unload this box truck full of posters and stuff like that for VBS. All
2: right. Thank you. God bless you and I hope you all have a great day and hope to see you back here Wednesday.